Amen. You guys can be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your very word was given to us, was preserved to our generation, that it is inspired by your spirit, and that, Holy Spirit, you know the hearts of all people. And so as we hear the word today, we ask that you would minister to each of us exactly as we need to, that you would speak to each of us, that you would build our faith, that we would be able to to live out lives in proportion to the faith that you give us. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we've been um, exploring through the Bible, a a series of passages kind of post-Easter, I guess. Like, I haven't even made this an official series or anything, but that's kind of the time period that we've been exploring lately, where we've been looking at these moments after Jesus rose from the dead and before he ascended to the Father, which, I mean, some people might not even realize those were two different things. They might think, oh, Jesus probably just disappeared and then they pretend he rose from the dead. But in reality, he actually hung out for about 40 days and made himself known to a lot of people and proved that he was raised, not just spiritually from the dead, but raised bodily. That he's like, hey, look at this. Do ghosts eat food? And he's like, I'm eating food. I'm not a ghost, right? Like, look at this. This is my body. This is the same body that I had before. It's got the same wounds, right, from the nails and the scars, right? So so he proved himself to his disciples during this time. And, and during this uh, time, he's, he's still uh, equipping them, he's still ministering to them, teaching them about the kingdom of God and preparing them that he, even though he's back from the dead, he's not back, right, perpetually. Like, they can't just, like, hang out with Jesus for, for the rest of the time on earth, that he's actually going to equip them and leave them with a mission to fulfill. But fortunately, he doesn't leave them to do that mission alone. Uh, He's actually prepared them in advance for this. And so today we're going to look at two primary texts, both written by the same author, by uh, Luke. Luke. Uh, And actually, yeah, Bull, if you want to grab some Bibles for people if they want to follow along. We're going to look at Luke 24, uh, which is the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And we're also going to look at Acts chapter 1. Also written by Luke, same guy. He was actually, seems like he was, uh, you know, employed to investigate all of these events that happened uh, by this guy named Theophilus, where he kind of said like, hey, you go like interview all of these people, gather all of the evidence, figure out the time periods. And and Luke, although he's a doctor, right, who travels with Paul later on in Acts, uh, he actually is quite the historian where he documents all of these specific events regarding who was reigning emperor, who was in charge of that region in Judea, of right, what was going on culturally at the time. He talks about weather patterns, right? He talks about depth charts of the ocean outside of the port city when like they were on these ships and their ship, like he documents so many specific details that have then since been verified archeologically, which is kind of cool. So, so I appreciate that we have someone like Luke who's right, been able to go and investigate and, and interview these eyewitnesses and figure out, okay, so what did you see? What happened? What were you like before you met Jesus? What happened here? And he just kind of pieces together the story for us in a, in a slightly different way than some of the other gospel accounts. And so uh, Luke 24, verse 44, uh, this is one of these moments where Jesus is, has appeared again to his disciples. 
Uh, and I'm just kind of jumping right in the middle of it, but that's, that's what I'm doing today for the sake of time. So it says this, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And verse 45, it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And so Jesus talks about, right, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. What he's describing is the Old Testament, what we refer to as the Old Testament, right? The law of Moses would be like the first five books. The prophets and the historical texts are in there. And then the Psalms, and sometimes uh, in other places in the Bible, it'll say Psalms and other books like the books of wisdom. Uh, so Jesus is actually making a claim here uh, that the Bible is about him, uh, that the Old Testament is about him. And it's actually been telling us about his coming and God's intended plan for salvation from the beginning. Uh, so what Jesus accomplished on the earth in his first coming was actually not something new. It wasn't just like, you know, God's kind of like last minute, like, oh no, humanity has sinned. What am I going to do? Right? Like he, he's been thinking about this for a long time. He's known that he would have to enter into the earth, that he would have to dwell among us, become one of us, and bear the sins of the world, right, paying the penalty on our behalf. And so what's cool here is that he's actually told them this before. He's actually preached this sermon before to them. Like he was telling them about this like long before he died. And I don't think they really like believed it at the time. Uh, sometimes, I mean, just like us, like sometimes when we hear the Bible say something or when we hear a sermon, it's like, Nah, I didn't really like that one. And so then we kind of choose to forget it or ignore it. Uh, but here, I think the disciples were probably a little bit more impressed now that they've actually seen Jesus raised from the dead. They're like, oh yeah, he was telling us that he was going to suffer at the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees, that he would die and then he would be raised. And now that's happened. So wow, this sermon's really cool now. Like, this is really great. Uh, and so Jesus, right, is connecting to those Moments And so verse 46, he says, uh, and then he said to him, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day raise from the dead. And so, so Jesus is the Messiah that was foretold in the Old Testament. And here he mentions the word suffer, right? And, and if you think of like what it should have looked like when God showed up on the earth, Right? Like if God was to show up, you'd think it would be different than a suffering servant, a, a poor baby, right? Someone who's a carpenter in kind of some backwoods country, right? Like you wouldn't think that's the way he would choose to enter the earth. But in fact, the first time the Messiah comes, he is coming again, he came to be this suffering servant, which the prophet Isaiah talks about uh, kind of in Isaiah, I think like the late 40s all the way through 53, he talks about this suffering servant, that the Messiah didn't come to, uh, as Jesus said, right, be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. And it, it's just kind of somewhat preposterous. And other religions have even said, like, this it doesn't make sense. That's too humiliating. Why would God choose to come and die this horrible death, the death of a slave? Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, that's almost blasphemous to even think that God would do that, right? And, and yet, that's the God that we serve. Although he is glorious, he chose to come humbly, right? That he would live among us and be willing 
to die for us. And so Jesus says, listen, the Bible's been saying this. This is who I am, right? And Jesus identifies his mission in the Bible, right? He's, he connects that with his mission, right? He knew that he would come and have to die for our sins. Let's see, verse 47. And, and he's still saying this from the Old Testament. He's preaching from the Old Testament. He says, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so, so here's a few uh, points to make here is that uh, we have repentance, we have forgiveness and proclamation. And repentance, right, you might think like, that's not like a fun word, right? Like repent, right? Like it just, it's not something that like kind of like jives with our flesh. Uh, it's not something that we're excited about. But repent is actually a good, a good word. It, it, it basically means that you don't have to commit, you don't have to double down to the foolish decisions that you and I have made, right? It's not like you have to just be like, well, I guess I kind of made some foolish choices when I was younger and I guess uh, that's my life path now. I'm just going to... That's what I'm going to do now for the rest of my life. I'm just going to be addicted to this or struggle with that or I'm just going to be a victim of this. And, and we don't have to continue on that path. We actually get to, to change direction, which is literally what repentance means, that you can change your mind, right? You can turn around. And repentance is the idea of turning from living a life, of doing things our own way, of, of living our life in rebellion against God and turning towards God to follow him. And, and so this idea of repent, it's, it's a word of hope, right? It's a word of hope that we don't have to live a life bound to sin and slavery to it, and we don't have to live an eternity dealing with the consequences of our sin, right? Like, that's really, really good news. Uh, in fact, in Acts 17.30, I don't have this one on the screen, but this is a sermon that Paul preached where he says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now... He commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him, right? That God, the good news here is that he non-discriminatorily, I don't, I think I probably had too many syllables in there. That's fine, All right? He's non-discriminant about his invitation. He says, listen, everyone can come to me, but one of the ways you're going to have to do that is through repentance, right? And, and the things I have to turn from or still am turning from are different than likely the things that you struggle with and suffer with, right? But each of us can turn to God. We're all invited to God. And, and what's interesting here is even if forgiveness wasn't possible, it would still be right for us to repent. It would still be the right thing to do. All right, like, like consider this. It would be like if I was guilty of a crime and I knew there was a penalty for the crime and in the courthouse I was like, I did it. Like, it was me. I am guilty of that and I'm sorry and, and still acknowledging that I'm going to have to pay the, the sentence of that crime. That would still be the right thing to do. But the great news is that there is a judge of all the earth that has chosen to make a way possible for us to be forgiven. Right? Like that, that I actually don't have to endure the sentence of my crime. Right? That, that I can repent, which is the right thing to do, and then experience like his forgiveness, his grace in my life. Right? It's amazing. It's amazing. This is incredible because, uh, right, even though like our culture has, you know, this, these different ideas of what God is like, when we look at the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, he is a just and holy God. And, and how could he allow someone like me 
into his presence, right? How could he want to not just penalize me for the wrong things I've done, but then to graciously offer me all things through his son and Jesus, right? Like, how can he do that? Like, it's almost like uh, someone who would have studied the Old Testament, a, a Jewish perspective, they might almost be like, that's almost, they might even consider unjust that God would choose to overlook the sins of the wicked, right? Like, and, and it's almost paradoxical, except that penalty was paid fully, that Jesus paid that price for us. And so the good news is that forgiveness is real, all right? Forgiveness is, is only found through repentance through faith, through trusting in God, and it's accomplished right by his grace, his undeserved favor that he bestows on us, right? That's what God offers us. And it does still require repentance, right? So it's not like, uh, consider this, right? If there was like an adulterous event and then someone's like, yeah, I'd really like you to forgive me, but I have no intent of changing my behavior. I actually plan on continuing in this fully. Like that would not be a, a great situation. That is, that is not repentance. And that person probably isn't going to obtain the forgiveness that they are seeking, right? And, and it, with God, it's the same way, right? That we need to turn from doing things our old way because we want to experience his forgiveness. And even though we'll still periodically fail, right, that, that his grace is there for us, but we shouldn't intentionally try to trample his grace underfoot, the Bible says, right? But this forgiveness is real, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus has proven that forgiveness has been accomplished by raising from the dead. Right? So the fact that he's raised verifies that I'm forgiven. So that whenever we, and we all do, have doubts or feel condemned, or right, the, uh, the, the enemy, the devil is even described in the Bible as the accuser of the brethren, right? As those thoughts are coming back to mind, we can remind ourselves of the truth that we are forgiven. That we are forgiven. And, and then when, right, he says, yeah, but you've done this, right? We can just be like, actually, you're right. And if it's something I haven't confessed, I can confess it to the Lord and, and still enjoy this forgiveness and have no gap in this relationship between me and the Father, right? That we can enjoy this. And so Jesus says that this news of forgiveness and repentance should be proclaimed to all nations, all right? He's actually describing the mission that he's giving his disciples, that this is actually good news, that the gospel literally means good news. And he's saying, listen, this needs to be told to everybody. Everyone needs to know this, right? And the means through which he's going to do that is through his people. And he says, listen, you know, if in case like the idea of you telling all the world about this good news sounds like a lot, he's like, all right, let's narrow it down. Let's start where you live, right? Like, because otherwise you're just going to be too overwhelmed. Like, wait, okay, the whole world, Jesus? I don't know. Where do I start? Let me spend, I'll spend the next five years just thinking about like where I should start. And he's like, no, 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 no. Start where you are. Start where you are. Okay. And, and so that's what he gives us is this good news to declare to the world. All right. The Bible talks about this idea that, uh, right, salvation comes through believing and trusting. And I won't believe right things about God if I have not heard the truth about who he is. That the means through which people are saved is upon the hearing of the word of God and that the Holy Spirit then produces change in their hearts. 
All right, so like this proclamation piece is actually a critical step to people experiencing salvation. Okay, so this is a, this is a big deal. This is a big mission that God chose to entrust in, in our hands, people's hand, like people like us. Like, it's like, I don't know, God, that's kind of like a big deal. Like, why'd you put this in, on us? <laughs> like, I, I don't know, like, it seems kind of important. I don't want to like be clumsy and drop this, right? I, I don't want to mess this up, right? But fortunately, he does not leave us alone with this mission, okay? Uh, verse 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things, right? So he's saying to the disciples, you guys have seen the work of God in my life. You've seen me resurrected. You've seen all of this happen. Verse 49, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so he gives them an incredible mission, and he's now going to equip them with the resources they need to accomplish it. Okay, that's, that's what he's saying here. And, and so he talks about this idea of the promise of my father, that he is sending the promise of my father, right? And so that's kind of some language that we might not be familiar with. But just as the father sent the son into the world because he loved the world, Jesus who was soon going to ascend and leave, was going to send the promise of the Father. And the promise of the Father is not simply this power, okay? It's not like he's just uh, going to invigorate us and, like, infuse us with energy. Uh, he's actually sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. It is God in us, God at work in us. It is the, the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's who Jesus is talking about. And so the purpose of the Holy Spirit being sent is one of those things is that he will equip us with power to accomplish the mission, right? Where he'll be able to accomplish things through us that we would not have had the ability nor the creativity to do so. That the Holy Spirit wants to work through the church, through the followers of Jesus. And, and it's not even like I could just rely on myself and my relationship with God and the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. He actually works through each of us in diverse ways as the Spirit wills and chooses so that we can be equipped and encouraged by one another, right? That God produces and brings about gifts in each of us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And actually, I... Man, I'm getting way ahead of myself here, like multiple sermons ahead of myself. But right, people, when they hear about the Holy Spirit, they're all excited about like, yeah, power, like all excited about like, yeah, miraculous healings and prophecy and words of knowledge and wisdom and miracles and things like that. And that's not the only kind of work that the Holy Spirit does, right? That's the stuff that gets like, you know, in flashing lights, the miraculous healing service this weekend, right? And everyone's like, wow, whereas you don't, you don't hear about like miraculous kindness service this weekend uh, because the Holy Spirit also produces the fruit of the Spirit in us found in Galatians 5, right? It's, it's not just about this power, but this character that he develops in us to be enjoyed by the people around us, the fruit of love and all of these things. And, and so that's not as exciting to us. It's like, wow, let's go see this guy. He's preaching this weekend and look how miraculously kind he is. Like, I can't wait to see how kind he is. Like, this is going to be amazing. Like, invite your friends, right? Like, we're, we're not as thrilled about that. We're excited about the power stuff. But both of those are works of the Holy Spirit. 
And so let's see, uh, verse 50, let me just finish up Luke 24. It says, so, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. Uh, wow, okay. And, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. All right, so, so they just saw Jesus just like, like disappear. Like that's, that's pretty crazy, right? And um, unfortunately for them, like it's after he just gave them this, this huge mission, all right? And, and he's like, hey, just go to Jerusalem, right? Hang out there. The power will come. You'll be clothed with power. The promise of the Father is going to come, all right? And they're like, oh, Jesus, could you like just stay like one more week? Like we just need a little more time on this. Yeah, oh, man, like it's just up to us now. That'd be a little bit overwhelming. But uh, let's take a look at what Jesus meant by this promise of the Father, right? So here he's describing this uh, right after he's been raised from the dead, right before he ascends. And he actually told his disciples about this the night before he died at the Last Supper. In John chapters 14, 15, and 16, he actually had conversations talking to them about the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and I, mean, I mean, it was a crazy night for them. I don't know how well they remembered it, but uh, the Holy Spirit actually brought it to their remembrance, as we'll see, and John wrote it down for us so we can enjoy this. So in John 14, uh, verse 15, I'm going to be skipping through some passages because Jesus covered a lot that night. Uh, he said this. He says, if you love me, uh, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You will know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. All right, so he says, listen, like, I know you guys are freaking out. I'm telling you I'm going to be gone but I'm not leaving you alone, all right? I'm sending another helper, right? Another as in in the same type as Jesus, someone who is going to be just like Jesus is going to be sent, okay? So like, they're like, okay, we really like Jesus. All right, he's sending another helper just like him, just like him, okay? And, and he's gonna be with us forever, forever, okay? And that the Holy Spirit is this helper, this comforter uh, that is going to be, it's, it, he is the spirit of truth. And he is going to actually be at work in us and be with us forever, all right? And so Jesus isn't abandoning his church. He's not abandoning his followers. And in fact, when he says, I will come to you at the end of verse 18, uh, elsewhere in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is, is literally called the Spirit of Jesus, right? We're, we're used to like the Holy Spirit is kind of one of the primary means to which he is referred, but this the Holy Spirit is, is God. Just as Jesus and the Father were one, the Holy Spirit and Jesus, it, it's God, God dwelling in us. And so skipping down, verse 25, he says this, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, okay, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is going to be sent by the Father. So this is the promise of the Father that Jesus was talking about. And what's cool is he'll, he'll actually teach us, 
right? Jesus, he's like, listen, I've taught you things. And later on, he'll say, there's some things you're not ready for me to teach you yet, but the Holy Spirit will teach you. And he'll actually even bring you to remembrance, right? He'll remind you like, hey, remember when Jesus said that, right? And, and even just like, here I think he was talking about the disciples and reminding them to write down uh, what Jesus did while he was on the earth, but also for us that the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the things that we need to know so that when you're in a conversation with someone and, and God can just literally bring to your mind a verse and just you'll be able to equip them with the word of God that is precisely what they need in that, in that moment. Let's see, uh, John 15 verse 26, so skipping down further. Because, yeah, he kind of just like keeps scattershot bringing up the Holy Spirit. Verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So the Holy Spirit and the disciples are going to be working together to testify about the things that Jesus has already done. John 16, verse 7. He says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will, and he lists a series of things here, he will convict the world uh, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they don't believe in me, right? That the Holy Spirit's going to be the one at work in people's hearts long before we even go to share the gospel with them. He's identifying things in people's hearts that they have a need for a savior, uh, right? Concerning righteousness. Where am I here? Yeah, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. Whereas Jesus previously was the, the right visible image of the invisible God, uh, we knew what God's standard of righteousness was by looking at Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and his work on the earth will once again be and establish that standard. And then verse 11, concerning judgment, because of the ruler of this world is judged. And he's talking about the fact that the enemy has been defeated by the work that Jesus did on the cross. All right, that, that he has been defeated and that there is still a coming day of judgment that right, the Holy Spirit's going to be kind of warning people of, that there will be a day when God will establish justice, that all of the injustice of the world will be set, set right. And so verse 12, all right, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. It's like, all right, oh, thanks, Jesus, like, Man, I could, all right. Like he only like tells us what we can handle in the moment apparently. Uh, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So these are the things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, the, the, the promise of the Father that he would send the Spirit after he left. Uh, these are the things that the Holy Spirit will do. He'll actually be able to lead us into all truth. That as we spend time with God and his word, that the Holy Spirit is the, the one who's the author of the Bible, and he actually can reveal the Bible to us. Right? This is just really cool that right, we've got 
the author, right? It's like a sit down, like signature event, like you get to sit down and talk to the author of the book, right? He's there with you as you read it. And if you choose to, right, if you trust Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit inside of you working in this way, right? So the Holy Spirit does this tremendous work that we are not alone in this mission. That, that Jesus elsewhere uh, said that he is with us to the end of the age, right? About himself, but it seems as though he's referring to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, okay? So, uh, so let's skip over to Acts chapter one. I told you I was gonna read Acts chapter one, part of it. And so this is also written by Luke and he recounts some of the same events that we had seen. So let's see, uh, verse one, yeah, here we go. He says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, so this is the guy that he's writing these to, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and now Acts, uh, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, right? So Jesus was proving that he was raised from the dead on multiple occasions, right, to his disciples, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So just like Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God before he died, he was still doing that during this 40 days. And just like, right, unfortunately, we don't have all the sermons that Jesus preached during that time. Like, that'd be really cool. But that's all right, we got the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit's gonna lead us into all truth. Uh, let's see, verse four. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So in terms of like this experience so far, he's talked about it being like clothed with power, right? Just like, imagine like, you know, being enveloped, covered in, clothed with power when the Holy Spirit comes. And now he's saying, uh, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's like, you've been baptized with water, uh, right? That's the baptism that we do here as well. Uh, and bapt baptism is a word that literally means to be submerged, uh, okay? Like to be just covered in and be submerged. And so he's saying like, listen, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will be submerged, surrounded in, saturated with the presence of God at work in your life, right? That as a result of what Jesus did on the cross, we have been made clean, and now the Holy Spirit can dwell inside of us where elsewhere in the New Testament says that we are the temple of God. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Where previously, according to like Old Testament tradition and practice, they thought like, okay, they had the tabernacle, like which was a tent, and then they made a temple for the presence of God, and they would try to like approach God's presence, and right, because of sin, they had to make all of these sacrifices and things, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, we are now made clean, and we can boldly go into the presence of God, and God's presence can literally come into us, right, where that is now something that is available to us. Verse six, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And what they're talking about is the fact that the Messiah, just as though there were prophecies about the Messiah coming and suffering and dying and, and being raised in the Old Testament, 
There's also prophecies about him coming and establishing a kingdom on the earth. And they're probably thinking like, you know, Jesus, I, I don't think he did that while he was here. Like, and he, like I think he forgot something. Like, like so Jesus, what about, what about that prophecy? Like, remember, you're supposed to like, you know, maybe that'd be great if you got rid of these, like this Roman authority over us, just like establish your kingdom maybe, that would be great. And so they're just kind of like reminding him like, Jesus, this is still on your to-do list, right? They're just kind of like, I don't know if they're nagging him or not about it, but, but they ask like, when, so when are you going to do that? Is that going to be like today or, I mean, really any time, Jesus, like, but just, you know, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. So he's like, hey, not, not this time. Right? He still hasn't done that. But there are prophecies that the Bible still has right, about his, his second coming. Uh, but check this out, verse 8, and then he's like, he refocuses them, right? refocus. He's like, I already told you, this is your mission. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so he reminds them of this mission. He's like, listen, you are witnesses, and, and like, we don't need to complicate that. That's, being a witness is literally to someone that has observed and experienced what Jesus has done and then is able to testify about it, right? Just to share, like, yeah, this is what God's done in my life. This is what he's done in his word. This is what he has accomplished, and I've experienced it. And you're just going to be a witness, right? You're just going to tell other people about it, and you're going to start in Jerusalem, you're going to start where you're at, but then you spread out all of Judea. That's the region, Samaria. That's neighboring countries. And then the ends of the earth. You're going to take this everywhere. And at this point, there's not a lot of people that he's talking to. Okay? So uh, this, we actually could consider a prophecy of Jesus that we have seen fulfilled. Right? Where, I mean, now 2,000 years later, this little upstart you know, sub-Judaism group, offshoot, whatever you want to call it, right, has now spread all over. And we are now continuing, right, that mission. We and other churches all over the earth, we are partnered with God, right, in this work to see his word proclaimed, right? And we're just witnesses. And, and fortunately, we don't have to do it on our own, right? That, that we, it's, he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, <clears throat> right? And earlier he'd said, you need to stay in Jerusalem until this happens, right? That I want to make sure you are equipped for this mission. And so the Holy Spirit, the reason he comes is that he comes to empower us to accomplish the mission, okay? Uh, verse 9, and when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, this is the same event that we read earlier, okay? So... It's not like Jesus is always just like, but, like, this is just how he leaves the room. Like, this is the same event, okay? Uh, and I love this moment. Oh, man, this is so great. I love the Bible. So, <laughs> so a cloud took him up out of his sight, and they're just all like, wow, right? And then it says the next verse, and while they were gazing into heaven, behold, like, two men come and, like, stood beside them, and they're just like, what you looking at, like, right? And, uh, and they're in white robes, and they said to him, men of Galilee, uh, why do you stand looking up into heaven? 
right? This Jesus who was taken from you uh, into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven, right? So it's just like God sends two angels just to like get these guys to like stop like just staring at the sky. Like, yeah, yeah, he'll, he'll be back someday. Like, don't worry. But I think, remember he told you to do something in the meantime? Like, you don't need to just like look up at the sky for the rest of the day. Uh, so yeah, so it's just kind of interesting. I, I'm amused by that moment, all right? So they're just like, why are you standing around here, guys? Uh, so the last thing I want to do uh, so we've seen this moment, we see Jesus talk about this experience, and, and so when we hear like this idea of power from the Holy Spirit, like what does that look like, what does that mean, and, and Peter, one of these guys that was with Jesus in these moments, in these conversations, who gets filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, later on summarizes Jesus' ministry in this way. So this is in Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 37. Maybe someday I'll, I'll go back and preach this whole thing at some point. Actually, I think on our website, you can still listen to a whole bunch of sermons all the way through Acts 17 from chapter 1 through 17 from like three or four years ago. Uh, but he says this, uh, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John uh, that John proclaimed. And verse 38, so he summarizes Jesus's ministry in verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And notice what Jesus did with, right, once he's empowered by the, the Holy Spirit, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. All right, so the, the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit isn't for us to bring attention to ourselves. The purpose of the Holy Spirit, actually, Jesus told us in John that the Holy Spirit's not even bringing attention to himself. Right? He is coming to glorify Jesus in the work that he has done and to remind people of what Jesus has accomplished and to equip the church. And so these moments where the Holy Spirit shows up in power, and right, we should pursue that. Right? We, Paul encourages the church in Corinth. He says, listen, like, you need to pursue these things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. So that's something that we should pursue. We should ask God by faith to, to be at work in us in those ways. But the reasons for it is not to bring attention to ourselves, but to serve others, to do good, right? To, to heal those who are oppressed. So it's not just to be like some, you know, self-centered superhero. It's not the type of thing that the Holy Spirit does. And, and the whole idea is that, right, that God will be with us the same way he was with Jesus. The same exact way is how the Holy Spirit will be at work in us. Let's see, I think I'm good for time. Let's have the worship team head back up here. And let's just uh, pray for a little bit as, as the church. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, uh, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us as orphans. We thank you that we do not simply have to look back at uh, ancient texts and manuscripts and just be like, oh, what if we were there? That, that, Lord, you choose to be with us, that we can experience the same salvation that the disciples experienced then, that we can enjoy your presence in much the same way as they did, and, Lord, that you are at work in us, that you are bringing about fruit in our lives for your glory, that the work you've begun in us, you will bring to completion. 
I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you inspired these words, that you are at work revealing your word to us, that even where I as a teacher fail to communicate effectively, that Holy Spirit, you will lead us all into truth. I pray that you would give us a desire to, to spend time in your word and in your presence and in prayer. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would equip your church uh, for the work of the ministry, that you would empower us for the great mission that you've given us. I pray that you would give us a desire to proclaim this good news of forgiveness through repentance by the grace that you've given. I pray that you would give us opportunities in our community and in broader regions throughout the earth that we would be able to share this truth with others. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you go before us already stirring up in the hearts of people uh, that they recognize they have a need for you, that they have a desire to know you and experience the love that you have for them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring about opportunities uh, that, that you would just be at work through us giving words of knowledge and wisdom and prophecy and, and healing and, and miracles in ways that only you can do and that it would be done in, in humility in our hearts, that it would not be for the sake of pride, but that we would serve others, that we would go out and do good and just enjoy your presence in us. I thank you that we don't have to do this on our own. And I pray that you would stir us up, encourage us, empower us for this mission. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.